3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we take a deep dive into a new state law, California's Fast Recovery Act, which supporters have called transformative for fast food workers. The law creates a council to set labor standards and could raise wages up to $22 an hour. Critics have already filed a referendum to try to put the law on hold before the voters. We'll talk about the new law's effects on California's fast food workers and business owners. Join us. I'm Nina Kim. Welcome to Forum. There are more than half a million fast food workers in California who'd be affected by a new state law, AB 257, known as the Fast Recovery Act. It sets up a council to decide minimum standards for working conditions and wages. Supporters say fast food workers often face wage theft, health risks and unruly customers. Here's Governor Newsom signing AB 257 on Labor Day.
0: We recognize our sectors of our economy where we're falling a bit short and one of those areas is fast food workers and I want to thank assembly member Holden in particular for AB257 and all of his hard work, a bill that empowers our workers, particularly in that sector, giving them more voice, giving them more choice, creating a new council and I'm proud on Labor Day to sign that bill and to shrine it in law.
3: But the industry and business groups are fighting the law. A statement from the International Franchise and the National Restaurant Associations says now California consumers will face even higher prices, especially those communities and individuals who can afford it least. It would create a fractured economy in California that is bad for everyone. Let's dig into it. First with KQED's labor correspondent, Farida Jabala Romero. Hi, Farida. Hi, Mina. (laughs) So glad to have you on. Give us the nuts and bolts. What does the law do? Why is it considered landmark or nation leading?
4: Yeah, so this is a first of its kind law in the nation. And um, like you mentioned, it would create this fast food council with uh, representatives from workers, uh, you know, fast food workers, their employers who are mostly small business owners that own franchises uh, representing the uh, fast food brands, um, but then also representatives from the big corporations, uh, the franchisors, um, and uh, representatives from uh, government agencies. And so the idea is that they would all come together, th- this would be a 10-member uh, Ten-person council, most of them, um, um, y- you know, uh, put there uh, by the governor, um, and that they would sort of uh, decide minimum standards for the for the industry. We have to say this law would apply to. Um, Uh, restaurants with 100 establishments or more nationwide, Mm. um, and that they would have the authority to increase wages up to $22 an hour next year, and then smaller increases in years after, uh, and then set minimum standards on uh, health and safety. And some of the issues, the big problems that workers have been um, you know, raising uh, about that industry for a while, things like wage theft and unsafe conditions. Um, so this is considered you know a big uh, breakthrough by people who um, support uh, more more voice for workers because the industry, I mean the workers that prop up this industry, uh, many of them are most of them are making minimum wage. Uh, And we're talking about, you know, mostly women of color, uh, many of them immigrants, some undocumented immigrants that are trying to get a bigger, you know, a bigger representation and a bigger say in their uh, work conditions.
3: What steps are needed to get this council together?
4: Wait, can you can you say the question again? What
3: are the steps that are needed to get this council created?
4: Right. So like I mentioned, the governor would need to appoint many of the uh, of the people in the council. There are other um, other people in in government that would also appoint uh, some of the members. Uh, The idea is to get it going in
3: 2023.
4: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So wouldn't
3: labor groups, though, also need to get signatures basically from fast food restaurant employees saying that they want
4: this council? Right. So this, this is something that was added in the bill pretty late in the game before it was actually signed by the governor. Uh, but there there would be a certain number of signatures. I forget exactly the, the number right now. Um, but uh, that with workers saying that they would want this council to be created before mm. it actually gets put into place.
3: Yeah, it looks like ten thousand signatures would need to be secured. To make that council happen. Well, let me get the thoughts of a fast food worker. Crystal Orozco is joining us, a worker at McDonald's. And before that, Jack in the Box in Sacramento. Crystal, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thank you for having me. How long would you say you've worked in fast food? 15 years. 15 years. And currently McDonald's, you said, and before that, Jack in the Box. What, What are your hours like and what were they like?
5: So at Jack in the Box, I usually work graveyard shift. um, And currently at McDonald's, I'm working from like five to 12.
3: And when you say graveyard shift, what were those hours at Jack in the Box?
5: It would be from 10 p.m. to 6
3: a.m. Wow. And why was that schedule best for you? Uh,
5: It gave me opportunity to, the time that I get off at six in the morning, get home, Wake my kids up, get them ready for school, uh, take them to school. Was able to rest while they were at school, and um, you know, be able to pick them up, and um, you know, like get dinner, be with them during that evening, and you know, I was able to put them to bed, and you know, by the time um, right after I put them to bed, I would just go straight to work.
3: Yeah, when you were at work. What was that experience like?
5: Since uh, it was graveyard shift, it was it's kind of it's kind of hectic. Um, we get people who are coming home commuting. Um, we get people coming from bars, parties, um, you know, just out in the town. Like a lot of people, mostly intoxicated people.
3: Mm. Did you feel unsafe working that shift, ever?
5: Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. Um, it, it it's more nerve nerve wracking when it's two two females um, working that night because you know, um, you know, customers being intoxicated or even just frustrated after their day of work, they get you know they get um, very um, very not rude, but like some of them usually go off really bad. Yeah.
3: Were you? Were your employers rather were they good at letting you know your rights and you know your rights for breaks things like that?
5: No, um, unfortunately for us, we go in thinking that um, you know they would let us know what needs what's supposed to be done and what like how things work in the workforce, um, but they don't. They 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 like to keep. They're more good at keeping stuff from you than they are to letting you know and keep you informed.
3: So you didn't realize that you were entitled to paid breaks?
5: Yeah, I didn't know. I just thought it was something normal that, oh, we take our breaks uh, in between cars. And um, eventually I've been seeing them messing with my time card, putting that I have breaks when I actually didn't take any.
3: How did you find out that you were entitled to that and that that's what they were doing?
5: Uh, it was for the, with the five for 15. Um, I seen them. Uh, they were uh, on strike at a different store here in Sacramento uh, off of Madison. And um, and we were, I guess they came to talk to one of, uh, one of my coworkers and then uh, we were able to speak with her as well, and she, she informed us, you know, how things are supposed to go. And she asked us, you know, are you, are you getting paid for your breaks if you don't take them because you guys work late at night? And then we told her, no, we didn't, not even attend, that they expected us to sit in between cars. But at the same time, they expect us to get the store ready and clean and prep for the next shift.
3: Did you approach your employer about it?
5: Did I approach them?
3: Yeah, after you found out about this, and and if you did, what was their response?
5: Uh, well, I asked um, some of my other because uh, I was only three of us working at the time when they approached us, and I asked the other my other coworkers about it, and none of them knew, and um, so we were. Um, so we were able to communicate about what's going on in the store and try to uh, work with the five for 15 and and unfortunately they found out um and that's when you know <laughs> stuff got really really bad with them how so uh they started to because there's originally three uh six of us three people in morning shift and three people in night shift who are willing to work with the five for fifteen. Um, and the people who worked in the day, they, they see the, they see management more often than we do at night. And they were threatening and telling them that we're wasting our time and that all we're going to do is lose our jobs, that we're just going to giving our money to them. They are misinforming them about the union and about the 550 Mm -hmm. day They made it seem like we're paying them to help us. In fact, when we weren't, you know, and um, and it went so far as to stay threatening one of my coworkers with immigration, which is uh, it's kind of it's kind of low for you to go that far, um, just to not get your store exposed because you want to be greedy.
3: Crystal, do you feel like this new law will make a difference for you in terms of your working conditions in the fast food industry?
5: Yes, I think it'll be a great i think it'd be a great um change in in the way we work and how we work um you know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't feel safe with, not just with the people who, like for myself, who work nights and dealing with them. It's just actually stuff that actually work in the store and, you know, functioning ACs and, you know, um, not having to work in extreme heat or even, you know, getting our hours taken away or getting punished for speaking up or um just in general, just speaking out and and not getting punished for
3: it. Yeah. Well, Crystal, thanks for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Crystal Orozco works at McDonald's, formerly worked at Jack in the Box in Sacramento, has worked as a fast food worker for 15 years. We're talking about California's Fast Recovery Act which is being called a game changer for fast food workers, but it is controversial and facing strong opposition. We'll learn more about why after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
1: Tomorrow, we're talking about
3: Margaret Wilkerson Sexton's new book, On the Rooftop. In the 1950s, San Francisco's Fillmore District was known as the Harlem of the West, which writer Margaret Wilkerson Sexton captures in her new novel. It tells the story of a single mother with dreams of her three daughters making it in music, which they don't exactly share. And we're wondering, listeners, if this is you. Have you rejected a parent's dream for you? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org or leaving a voicemail 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking about California's new law, the Fast Recovery Act, which aims at improving working conditions and wages specifically for fast food workers. But there are concerns about how it'll affect California's economy and even how it will affect other workers in other industries. And joining us to talk about it is Farida Jambala Romero, labor correspondent for KQED. You, our listeners, can share your thoughts or questions about the new law by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or giving us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And also joining the conversation now is Ken Jacobs, chair at the Center for Labor Research and Education at UC Berkeley. Ken Jacobs, thanks so much for being with us.
6: Thank you, Thank good you. morning.
3: Good, good morning, Ken. And uh, I'm wondering, we just heard from Crystal Roscoe, who works at McDonald's now, worked at Jack in the Box and told us about her experience at Jack in the Box. Can you give us a sense of who makes up the fast food workforce? Is it mostly people like Crystal?
6: It is. The fast food workforce is in California, about 550,000 frontline fast food workers. Most earn close to the minimum wage. The average wage is a little over $16 an hour in the state. And 80% workers of color, two thirds women, 60% uh, Latina or Latino. And they very and a pretty small percentage that are teenagers. These are mostly adults who are working to support themselves and to support their families.
3: So this is no longer the stereotypical first job for a teen in high school or something just to get started? That, that hasn't
6: been true for quite a long period of time. Uh I think people have this image of fast food workers as being teenagers. And what we found in fast food, as with low wage occupations overall, is there's been a, a big decline in general in teen employment, and uh, many more of the workers are adults who are supporting their families. And important to note that many teenagers who work are also in lower income families and their their families need the income to survive. We found that uh, two thirds of fast food workers in California were themselves or had a family member enrolled in one of five safety net programs at an annual cost to the public of about $4 billion a year.
3: Ken, why do you see the Fast Recovery Act, as I think you've called it, the most significant legislation since the New Deal? What is the power and potential of this new law, as you see it?
6: Well, it's the most significant legislation creating standards in on a in a specific private sector industry, and I think what's so important about it is this is an industry where, because of the fractured nature of the industry and using franchises. It's one, It's very difficult to unionize, and it's an, an industry in which we see high rates of violation of wage theft and health and safety hazards. And I think, you know, there's a couple of the issues that Crystal really raised. I mean, there's been multiple surveys of fast food workers over the last decade reporting extraordinary high rates of, of wage theft, a study by the National Council on Health and Safety found 87% of fast food workers had been injured on the job in a one-year period. And so this is an industry that needs protection, and in which, again, as I said, it's very difficult to unionize. And so what this does is it creates this council that will include employers and workers and representatives of the government to effectively have a, a called social bargaining Uh, over the wages and working conditions in the industry, both to improve wages, but also to address issues like the health and safety, uh, issues that, that are taking place on the job and importantly, uh, training. And I think you raised a couple of those issues around training needs, both on people's employment rights in the workplace and... Training on uh, around health and safety. Uh, another thing that the law does that really addresses one of the issues that that Crystal raised raised is it provides greater protection against retaliation of workers when they do report violations, which mm. is also a, a big issue in the industry and is one of the key reasons why uh, there's significant underreporting of violations when you look at uh, data that just uses workers' complaints rather than the survey data or the random audit data. So we think that this council really creates an opportunity both to address the specific issues in the fast food industries with both workers and employers at the table to improve those conditions and to create an opportunity for workers to organize themselves, uh, participate in in the council, speak out at hearings, And be actively engaged to have a voice in the issues that affect their lives.
3: Farida, is there anything you would add to what Ken was saying with regard to, through your reporting, uh, the experiences of fast food workers that you found that we haven't touched on yet?
4: Yeah, so we've covered uh, recent uh, surveys of um, fast food workers including one by the uh, Service Employees International Union, the SEIU, which was one of the uh, main proponents of, of this bill and, and now law. And um, I mean, like Ken was, was saying, uh, you see uh, in that survey and others, and also, and, and Ken Jacobs' own research, really high rates of uh, workers uh, saying that they've uh, suffered some, sort, some form of wage theft in the state, which is uh, something that's really concerning. It affects not only the workers and their families, but also our society as a whole, when people don't have the uh, income that they earned and the ability to subsist in our state, you know? Um, and so uh, Crystal was talking about a couple of, of, of things. I noticed like um, the uh, she said like some of her hours would disappear and her pay stubs, uh, you know, and then also uh, the number of workers she's, I think she said there were only two workers in the whole you know, manning the whole restaurant. And that's something I've heard also from, from other fast food workers I've talked to that they're Mm. um, you know, in an attempt, maybe by the um, by the business owner to, to cut costs, uh, they they have to um, you know put fewer workers in the restaurant, so they they can't take breaks. Um, they they end up working longer than um, than their uh, eight hours. So that uh, those are some of the, the, the issues we've heard. And then on the on the issue of of wage theft, in particular, I've spoken with workers. Um, like I remember this uh, single mom of three. Um, at a at a restaurant near Sacramento, who said she um, she was working fourteen hour days, um, but only getting paid for about two thirds of that time. She fell behind on rent. She and her kids had to live in a car for months. And we're talking about like you know people who are working people with uh, full time jobs or more than full time jobs. And so these are the um, the really difficult situations mm. that I think uh, supporters of the law see as, you know, it bringing a, uh, having a potential to really be transformative uh, in the industry and in the lives of these workers and their families.
3: Well, let me invite listeners if you've worked in fast food or you're involved in fast food or own a franchise and want to share your experience, you can do that by calling 866 733 6786 or by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. I want to bring into the conversation now Christopher Thornburg, Director at the Center for Economic Forecasting and Development at UC Riverside School of Business. Chris Thornburg, glad to have you back on Forum.
7: A pleasure to be here.
3: So you, uh, are, you have some real concerns about the California Fast Recovery Act. Talk about what your main concerns are.
7: Right. Um, yeah, I do have any number of concerns uh, about this act. Um, and to be clear, uh, listen, I, I appreciate that, um, uh, from a social perspective, we need to help low, lower income families get ahead in the world. Uh, we've done plenty of work at the center on this particular topic and we understand it should be a primary mission of the government the question here is one of efficacy. Is this the kind of law we need to pursue that goal? And that's of course where I have a real problem here for any number of reasons. I mean, let's start with the recent conversation about wage theft and, and various sorts of safety violations and so on and so forth. Um, first of all, These surveys that have been cited have almost no scientific veracity. Um, There's very little real data to back up these claims that this industry is rife with these kind of problems. And even if you think there are significant problems, then we should be passing a law to increase the budget for Cal OSHA and the various sorts of labor boards that are already in existence at the state level to, uh, shall we say, enforce laws that are on the books right now. Um, Layering in another layer of bureaucracy on top of the laws that already exist without actually ever demonstrating that those laws aren't working for some reason, to me, is a mistake. Let's go to what we already have. Same thing in terms of this board we're talking about here. Again, worker rights is a big issue in the state. California has some of the strongest worker rights in the nation. We have one of the highest minimum wages. We have all sorts of other rules. Um, We are a very labor-friendly state um, as it is. Those debates, by the way, about those particular rules take place within, if you will, the electorate. Uh, They go up for laws. uh, It becomes a a hot-button issue or it goes to referendum and it goes to the polls. In other words, California voters are inherently weighing in on what they feel are the appropriate set of rules to cover workers' rights. Understand what we're doing here. We're taking that away from the voters. We're taking that away from the electorate. The board we're talking about here is going to have 10 members on it that are functionally chosen by the governor. In other words, we picked a particular industry, well, a subset of a particular industry, that is say fast food restaurants with more than 100 units in it. Um, and we're going to subject them to the unilateral whim of the governor's office because the governor gets to choose these people. The governor more or less gets to just unilaterally set wages and work conditions within this one industry without any electoral input. Uh, To to me, this is a complete undermining of the democratic system. We have public debates and we have these rules uh, at at the state level in the electorate for a very specific reason. All Californians should be able to weigh in on these conversations, not just 10 people picked by the governor.
3: Well, Christopher, here's a comment from listener Monica, who I think sort of goes along with what you're saying. Monica tweets, this council just creates more complex laws instead of enforcing the laws we already have. Chains are, if anything, less likely to violate these laws because their franchisers are an additional watchdog, are less likely, if anything, less likely to violate these laws because their franchisers are an additional watchdog. Let me ask you, though, Christopher, when you say that you think the wage theft uh, surveys are inaccurate, where would you put the proportion of fast food workers who experience wage theft
7: we I don't know I don't there's no no good data out there on that right we just really don't have good information what we have are a number of surveys with again we have no idea how these survey respondents were picked <laughs> uh, was it a truly representative sample um for example one of the surveys I looked at claimed you know in the LA Times cited a survey that suggested 80 percent of people in LA County have suffered from wage theft But that was based on a 12-year-old survey of a a 1,000 people at the national level uh, with, again, no information as to how those 1,000 people were chosen for the survey. Uh, We cannot do substantial state laws on the basis of anecdotes and what I would call um, really uh, poor surveys. We have to have real data. And uh, again, I would suggest we go and get that data before we start uh, just setting up new sets of boards and, and new complex bureaucracies.
3: Ken Jacobs, have you landed on a figure that you think is a substantive and accurate figure?
6: I have looked at multiple surveys that have been done by different organizations and with uh, some of them but perhaps more representative than others that have all had the same conclusion. But most importantly, the Obama Department of Labor, and this is national data, did their own work looking at random audits of in the fast food industry, which is probably the the best data that you can possibly get. And they also found very high rates of violations. So the exact number, whether it's two thirds or 80%, isn't what, what matters here. We know that there are extremely high rates of wage theft in the industry. And we know that there are higher rates of health and safety violations. And so the question then is, again, and we know that the the industry uh, pays very low wages and below that and other similar service sector uh, employers. And so the beauty of the way of the, the, the council structure is that you have employer and employee representatives and the two government representatives, ones from go-biz on that sort of the business promotion side and ones from the labor agency, is that you have a chance to look at the data, commission, you can do studies, they can analyze what's happening specifically in that industry, and craft solutions around health and safety, around training, around pay, that are very specific to that industry. And of course, in many industries, that's the role that a union would play in union negotiations. But we know that in the fast food industry, with the franchise model, that is just very difficult to do. So this creates a way to achieve that kind of bargained solution in that industry. And there are plenty of checks and balances here. The the, the state legislature can vote has has time to vote to override any. Uh, standards that they don't agree with there there's lots of of checks here but this does provide an opportunity for people yeah. like chris like the franchisors and franchisees to come in and say hey we think this is too high we think it should be done this way and for workers to come in and say the same so and just the other note is and california has a long history of this when the industrial welfare commission was created in california in uh 1916 The first thing it did was analyze wage and hour, wage issues in canneries in the Monterey area, female workers, and set a set of standards uh, in that area. So this is not, and in fact, we had the Industrial Welfare Commission for many, many years setting the minimum wage in California. So this isn't a new concept, uh, and it does allow for good regulations to be developed with broad input specific to that industry.
3: We're talking with Ken Jacobs, Chair of the Center for Labor Research and Education at UC Berkeley, Christopher Thornburg, Director at the Center for Economic Forecasting and Development at UC Riverside School of Business, KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javela Romero, and I should mention that we reached out to McDonald's, Subway, Burger King, Carl's Jr., KFC, Taco Bell, and Jack in the Box. Only Jack in the Box provided a statement. And part of it says, quote, the quick service restaurant industry should not be treated differently than the remainder of the restaurant industry or other retailers, particularly considering the difficult environment that already exists for its small business owners. We'll be talking more about California's Fast Recovery Act and what it could mean for you, for California, for fast food workers. Join the conversation. Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at kqedforum. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Parida Davla Romero of KQED, Ken Jacobs of UC Berkeley, Chair at the Center for Labor Research and Education, and Christopher Thornberger of UC Riverside School of Business, Director at the Center for Economic Forecasting and Development, all about California's new law that sets up the opportunity to create a council for better wages and working conditions for fast food workers. It is facing significant opposition from franchise owners and fast food industries, corporations in the fast food industry, and we are learning why. And you, our listeners, are weighing in. Let me read a couple of comments. Noe writes, I thought fast food was supposed to be cheap. And Michael tweets, minimum wage was never intended to be a family-sustaining wage. The cost of, say, a Big Mac and fries is tied to the minimum wage. Unless the fast food worker becomes more productive with more customers served per hour and more burgers flipped, the result of higher wages will just be inflation. Also, doesn't Cal OSHA investigate fast food restaurants for safety? So really quick, uh, Christopher Thornburg, your study has been cited quite a bit on your projected increase in prices for consumers with this law taking effect what do you project as the increase in prices
7: um sure ab- absolutely it, it um absolutely so what we did was we just looked at uh, sort of some standard uh we looked at some time series data we looked at some pass-through um sort of modeling and what we end up with here uh is about a, what we call a one-third pass-through in other words if the rules put into place by um uh this board, say, you know, push wages $22 an hour, expand overtime, start mandating staffing levels or or predictive scheduling, uh, you're going to push up labor costs quite a bit. And for every, say, 15%, you push up labor costs, there's going to be about a 5% increase in food costs. So it will get past, uh, shall we say, onto the cost to it has to. Uh, This is a very competitive industry, uh, as was noted. And Um, you know, again, that has to go on. Now, to be clear, it doesn't mean all fast food is going to go up 20% in price. I mean, one of the things here that has been noted on a couple of occasions, and it's really worth discussing this, is the idea that this only applies to really the large chain fast food restaurants, which means the independents aren't going to be subject to this. They're going to continue to pay. By the way, it's the independents who are probably more likely to commit some of the issues uh, with wage theft and or safety violations, as has already been noted. And really, what you're going to do is simply push um, more customers to and more employment to those vendors because they're going to have a substantial cost advantage uh, when the large chains, of course, have to put their wages up. So there is, of course, this, this this unintended consequence going on here. It's also worth noting that most of these fast food, large fast food chains are not owned by the corporations. It's easy to think that, hey, you know, let's just soak the corporate corporate, you know, greedy guys. But really what you're hurting is a lot of franchisees um people who have really uh built their life built their family's wealth around this this business have worked very hard and again they are going to lose about a lot of business may may even be forced to shut their franchise as a result of of those hiking prices that just doesn't allow them to be competitive with a truly independence
3: hmm. well, so well let me we go to call her, yeah let me go to caller jan in redwood city hi jan
7: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just want to make a
8: couple of points. First, I want to respectfully disagree with, I believe, Christopher. I think we do need more government uh, regulation for the fast food industry. I think simply because what's going on is not acceptable. I mean, there is abuses going on. And, you know, one simple fact is that a lot of these uh, service workers, they can't even afford to pay, you know, rent where they live in. And also, I want to let you know that, I mean, I am a consumer. I've never worked in a fast food industry. But, you know, saying that, I am very comfortable paying higher prices for, you know, food if it means that, uh, you know, workers get a living wage. Because I think if workers uh, cannot earn a living wage, they might not be well, and that will – have some unintended consequences. Maybe they could come to work sick and things like that. I think it's in our best interest as a society to make sure that our you know, fellow citizen is, is doing well. And then a the final point I want to make is, uh, which I haven't heard yet, is, you know, these low wages. I mean, we're, as a taxpayer, I think we're subsidizing this stuff already anyway. So as you know, a lot of these uh, workers, they have to access government services and all that. We, the taxpayer, pick up the tab. You know, I would much rather... Um, you know, pay more for fast food if these workers are going to get a living wage. Just, again, just me as, as a consumer, I just want to see people earn a decent living because in my uh, community, if people are not, you know, doing well, I mean, obviously we see that in certain areas, homelessness and things like that. I think we just have to, as a society, I think it's, we just have to kind of just, you know, band together, and make sure we mm. take care of, of our fellow workers. Yeah. I think that's a uh, say they, there.
3: Well, Jen, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Appreciate it. Let me go next to Anthony and Temecula. Hi, Anthony. Go right ahead.
2: <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh,
3: can you hear me? Again.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't think this is the right way to go. I mean, because a lot of these fast food owners, you know, they're sole proprietors. <laughs> you know, they might have one or two stores. And if we've all noticed that the food prices are going up. You know, they keep going up. And so I don't think this is the way to go. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Latin. I'm Native American. I've been there. I've slept in my car. I've eaten a cup of noodles. So, you know, you, you know, there's ways out of this situation. And I don't think having society pay for it and, and having a, a commission sent uh, by the governor set up, you know, if the governor would increase the pay for his employees 25 percent, all set an example, Governor Newsom. Raise your employees 25%. Give them a pay raise. Let's
3: well, Anthony, make- let me. Yeah. Anthony, thanks for uh, sharing your experience. Let me get Ken Jacobs to weigh in on what you're also raising about sole proprietors. This could hurt franchise owners. Ken Jacobs, there's real concern that they have thin profit margins. They're subject to requirements put on them by the corporations that they are the franchises of. What is your response? Well,
6: unfortunately, one of the pieces in the legislation that I thought was extremely important ended up being taken out because of pressure from the franchise association and the the franchisors, which would have created joint liability for the the companies over any wage and hour violations but the sure
3: like the McDonald's taco bells and jack' jack in the boxes ad, of the world would have had liability. absolutely too.
6: absolutely and in, in fact the the uh Chief Financial Officer of McDonald's recently reported to investors that they'd received an eight, had an eight, achieved an eight percent price increase over the previous year, and that seventy percent of that they'd pass been able to pass through to the corporation itself, um, and presumably to shareholders. So we do have a system where the the companies have the power in the economic relationship, and that's part of the reason why we find especially high rates of violations, specifically in franchises. Uh, That's an area that has been studied very directly. In a company-owned stores, you find much lower rates of violations. We know there are higher rates of violations in franchises. But I think having a higher set of rules in California will create the conditions to push the national companies to change those rules. And I think there's really no other way that we're going to get there I, I also want to just go back quickly to something that uh chris said earlier because to note that the law doesn't allow uh, legisl- uh making rules on staffing levels and predictive schedules that was one of the things um, i think unfortunately that was put in in the end but also that his mo- the model that he's citing on price increases it, unfortunately he never set sets out his methodology or assumptions in his papers so you really Have no idea what it is that that he's how he's doing that or assuming, but there is a a wide set of really good empirical empirical research on what's happened to restaurant prices when the minimum wage has gone up. Uh, My colleagues, uh, Michael uh, Michael Reich and Sylvia Allegretto, looked at thousands and thousands of uh, items in restaurant menus in San Jose, both right inside and right outside, when they're. Minimum wage increased 25 percent and found that restaurant prices went up 1.5 percent. So I think we would see some small increase in restaurant prices, but I think uh, it's a a disservice to wave hands and and put that number much higher than it's likely to happen.
3: Well, I know Farida Davila romero wants to jump in here. Farida?
4: Yes, Mina. I think, you know, the big question here is um, we have we have so this is like a big showdown right between um, some of the uh, lowest paid workers in the state and on the other hand at the other you know side of the other extreme, we have uh, companies that are highly profitable. I mean, McDonald's made twelve billion dollars in gross profits uh, in 2021, for example. So it is true that in the middle there are these franchise small business owners who are very concerned that this law is going to put them out of business, that they won't, you know, be able to compete, that the prices of the food that they sell is going to go up, and that's going to mean, uh, you know, uh, fewer customers coming through their door. Um, Those are very valid concerns. But the big question about this law is, will it lead to some changes in how the big companies that control the franchise model um, do business in California? And in a way that doesn't just benefit, uh, you know, the workers, but also the small business owners that... um, You mean the
3: franchise uh, owners, yeah.
4: Yeah. And so that's that's like the big question you know about this law. It's kind of a big experiment. This council would only be in place for six years. Uh, that's something else that was added uh, into the bill late in the game. Um, so it, I think that's what we need to watch out for. And also other states and you know people in other across the country are watching California now as a battleground state on this on this very issue because opponents uh, to the law, uh, as you know, have filed, uh, paperwork to begin the process of putting a uh, proposal uh, to voter to voters uh, whether to overturn this law in the twenty twenty four ballot uh, most likely. Um, so if they gather enough signatures, uh, voter signatures more than six hundred thousand that they need uh, to put this. Uh, measure up for a vote in 2024, that's going to delay the implementation of the law anyways. You know, this was uh, supposed to go into effect January 1st, 2023. uh, While, you know, uh, the Secretary of State counts the signatures, uh, if they turn those in, uh, that's going to delay this whole uh, implementation of the law. So there's, and, uh, you know, uh, supporters of the law are expecting a huge tsunami of corporate spending (laughs) over this you know so this is this is really putting you know uh this fight um in california it's it's i think it's being watched uh in other parts of the country as well so it's it's big it could have huge ramifications not just for the fast food industry but for other industries as well
3: so many questions left to answer. As you say, whether or not this law will take effect January 1st, whether or not there will be a referendum that delays it and it's put in front of the voters and does not get implemented uh, because it would be before the voters by November 2024, whether or not it will hurt Franchise owners, whether or not big corporations like the McDonald's of the world will be affected, whether or not it will truly improve conditions for fast food workers. Parita Davila Romero is labor correspondent for KQED. Still Oroz- Orozco joined us, a worker at McDonald's uh, in Sacramento. Ken Jacobs is with us, a chair at the Center for Labor Research and Education at UC Berkeley, and Chris Thornburg, Director at the Center for Economic Forecasting and Development at UC Riverside. This happens to be a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Chris, I did want to give you a chance to uh, respond to Ken's comment about your methodology with regard to pricing. Yeah,
7: our methodology was actually done in two different ways, and it's very clearly laid out in our paper. And if Ken has any confusion on our methodology, I'm happy to walk him through it. Uh, for the record, there's nothing particularly controversial about saying that when input costs go up, output costs go up. We've all seen that at the pump over the course of the last few weeks. Another thing here is, uh, you know, the caller made the point about, you know, these are low skilled workers, these are low paid workers, rather, uh, and we should do better by them. I I agree with that worker that you know if he feels that way, we go to the voter. We have a state increase in the minimum wage beyond its, its current level, and we have a public debate about that. Again, isolating this one industry uh, and making it subject to an unelected board, more or less uh, creating labor standards on the basis of fiat by the governor to me is a really, really slippery slope that we all want to avoid. If you want to have this debate, have it in the public forum, simple as that. And last but not least, I think it's very interesting how this conversation went. You know, we're all talking about helping low-skilled workers, which I think is a good thing. But very quickly, we brushed over the fact that the true independents aren't going to be impacted by this. The food trucks aren't going to be in- impacted by this. The full-service restaurants are not. In other words, really what they're doing here is going after corporations. So we're, we're hiding, if you will, uh, this anti-corporate uh, effort. Under this this guise of, of helping workers, when you're helping only very a very small segment of workers, and well, on that last front, can I? Just well, Christopher, just thing.
3: really quickly, your yeah. your suggestion is that the independents, the one that are that are working, uh, the workers that yeah. are working for entities than that don't have a hundred, you yeah. know, businesses none, none, none across the nation, that those down. those have more violations and more of the issues I, than the I, McDonald's I, 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 I and Jack in the Boxes what, of the world.
7: It, it, it would seem logical yes it would seem logical given that they have probably far less formal systems i mean your typical mcdonald's is very very uh, uh uh computerized and everything right now and lord knows you know for all this conversation about wage theft in the state can we agree that california is chock full of class action lawyers if there was really that big of a problem out there there'd be class action lawsuits flying in every direction
4: well I've seen let, it yeah
3: well, so well let me it's, go it's to ken jacobs weird. about your larger point which i think is also on the minds of a lot of people which is why should fast food workers get a separate entity to determine minimum labor standards and a minimum wage that's much higher than the state minimum wage, or that could be Much higher than the state's minimum wage. I know that you mentioned the difficulty of unionizing these workers, but more broadly, if ultimately what it is that the workers are trying to achieve with regard to better working conditions, why do you need a separate entity to determine that and minimum wage? And let me just add, especially since you added the caveat, Ken, that it actually would not include discussion about, say, scheduling issues or I think paid leave and so on, some things that are really crucial to fast food workers.
6: Well, I think what's important here is we have an industry that we know that is large, employs over a half a million workers in California, where we know we have specific problems that are in large part created by that franchise model. And so it gives an opportunity to create standards that specifically address the conditions in that industry. And we do that in health and safety in other areas. There are health and safety rules related to, the, to farm workers, related to hotel workers. And so being able to craft a set of rules that really look at the conditions in that industry creates the kind of flexibility you need to get the rules right and to address the specific kind of I- issues here where we know, for example, that people aren't aware of their rights or have fear of retaliation and reporting uh, complaints, that they can address the kinds of issues that fast food workers uh, raise specific to that industry. And I think if this model is successful, we're likely to see not only the model replicated in fast food in other parts of the country, but we're likely to see in other low-wage industries where we have similar kinds of conditions, this model being looked at as well.
3: We've gotten a lot of comments. This one Seems to reflect a lot of them. Susan writes, workers deserve living wages, benefits, safe working conditions, and a say in their jobs and futures through this council. The fast food industry has been under the radar for too long with so many abuses. Even this bill doesn't go far enough, but it's a start. There is so much wealth in this country that could provide for everyone. We're being made to fight each other with lowered expectations rather than expecting that we can all have. A decent life. I want to thank you, Ken Jacobs, for coming on. I also want to thank Christopher Thornburg, Director at the Center for Economic Forecasting and Development at UC Riverside School of Business. Ken Jacobs is at the Center for Labor Research and Education at UC Berkeley, and I want to thank Farida Javla Romero for her reporting as labor correspondent for KQED, and of course earlier, Crystal Orozco, a fast food worker at McDonald's in Sacramento. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of
0: Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts.